every August here at Life Chapel, we try and emphasize an opportunity for spiritual renewal. And there's a lot of reasons that we do that in August. And one of the main reasons why is because, you know, the summer is filled up with travel schedules and vacation and you know, the kids are out of school and there's no break from them. And that just complicates everything. You know what I mean? That gets crazy and, and, uh, and just insane sometimes. I know it does at our house. And August kind of gives us a natural opportunity to hit the reset button and kind of come back into a routine uh, spiritually. And it gives us an opportunity to reprioritize God and the things of God like we should if the summer caused us to get off track a little bit. And it's in that spirit that we're beginning a brand new message series today called The Sound of Revival. And it's my prayer that throughout this series and throughout this month of August, we're going to position our hearts in line with the heart of God for us. And we will make him first and foremost the priority of our lives, and we will allow him to do what he wants to do in us and desires to do in us. And let me say real quick before I forget, it's good to have Elena back with us as well today. We love you. Shout out. Love it. Okay. The fact of the matter is, and we've already talked about this today as we are praying over our kids, that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. But here's the reality. You'll never realize that purpose as long as you keep God on the back burner and you keep putting other things in front of him. Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, that if we would seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then all these things, all these things are everything else that God has in store for you. Everything else that you desire, everything else that you need, all these things would be added to you as well. But the key to that promise is putting God first in your life, making sure he's the priority. And I want you to know his word is true. And I believe that today God is already kind of setting this theme in his house today that God is calling us right here and now to think about his placement in our lives. I believe he's challenging our hearts today. Where is God really? Is he on the back burner? Is he, is he in the back somewhere? Or is he really first in your life? Listen to me. The choices you make, the decisions you make, the way you live your life will tell the story of where God is in your list of priorities. And this series of messages is designed to help you become everything God desires for you to be. But it all begins by setting your heart right with God. And so I'm calling this series The Sound of Revival because in the Scripture, revival, when it is pure and holy and it is a real, genuine move of God, it has a distinct sound. And we're going to explore what that sound is over the next several weeks. But before we talk about the sound of revival, I want to talk about that word revival itself. Because that word has several different possible meanings. And based on your past experiences, that word revival may conjure up different thoughts or images to you. For example, the way that I grew up in church, uh, when I hear the word revival, I immediately think of a week of church. Come on, we would start on Sunday morning, and we would come back on Sunday night, and we'd come back on Monday night, and Tuesday night, and Wednesday night, Thursday night, and Friday night if it was real good. That was revival. And, and the church that I grew up in, we had two or three of those every year. And, and, and missing one of those nights was not an option. I was a PK, grew up in the pastor's home. I was going to be there. 
whether I wanted to be or not. And that's what I think about when I hear revival. I think about evangelists with their white hankies and all kinds of stuff going on. I think about a, a week of church. Come on, somebody. A revival can also mean the regaining of interest or enthusiasm in something. I'll never forget being in 10th grade. I was taking a class called American History, and my teacher was Jewish, and she was trying to explain the American Great Awakening to our class, and she, could, she didn't know what a revival was, and she looked at me, and she says, can you help me with this? In my mind, a revival is something that happens that makes you like your religion again, and I was like, well, essentially, that's kind of it, you know? Revival is, 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 is something, it's like an enthusiastic response to a move of God or the Word of God going forth. And when you respond to God and the move of the Spirit, it pulls you from the place of apathy and disengagement to the place of being excited about God and the things of God again. Revival, by its very nature, just the, the root meaning of the word, can also mean bringing something back to life again. It's the act of reviving. Something was dead, but if it's been revived, that means that it is now alive. And in the church, we use this term revival a lot. We, we use it in our preaching and in our praying and in, in our conversations with one another. And I think that most of the church would agree that revival is a good thing, and it's probably a necessary thing in our spiritual uh, experience to to experience revival at least from time to time but the truth is as I've sat down and tried to understand God's heart for us in this series I think that very few of us truly understand what the word revival means according to the scriptures and what the Bible teaches about it Leonard Ravenhill is a very anointed speaker and author from a previous generation he actually passed away in 1994 but he wrote an incredible book that's become somewhat of a classic called Why Revival Tarries. And in this book, he makes the case that a biblical definition for revival is simply the presence of God has come and moves among his people. And it's the realization of the scripture in Hosea chapter 10 verse 12 that informs that definition that says, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and rains righteousness upon you. And so when I talk about revival, I want to be clear about what I'm referring to and what I'm, what I'm referencing. For me, the desire for revival is not just about a series of messages that would last for a month or, or, or happen night after night after night that we would all say, man, that was good. It was good to be in God's house. It was good to hear his word, but it failed to change us. It failed to transform us. For me, revival is not something that equates to simply an emotional response to God where we decide we're going to come out of the place of apathy for a moment and we get excited about our walk with God again. Like my 10th grade teacher said, we like our religion again and that might last for a few days. That might last for a few weeks. It might even last for a few months, but inevitably we're going back to where we were before the move of God happened. That's not what I'm talking about when I talk about revival. Revival for me is seeking the presence of of God until he comes and rains down his power and his grace upon our lives, not in a way that changes us just for a moment and then we go back to life as usual, but in a way that elevates us to a higher place in God, a way that causes us to walk more closely 
after Jesus to experience his presence in greater measure every day and to make a heavenly difference, to make an impact in our world where we are never the same again. That is the kind of revival. That is the cry of my heart and what I believe God's heart is for his church. That's real and true revival, and that's what I'm after. I want to experience the power and presence of God in a way that changes my life for the good and propels me forward into his purpose and plan for my life. There's something that's been bothering me increasingly for some time. And it's this disparity that I see between the church I read about in the New Testament and what we call church today. And while there are many similarities to church, there are also some glaring differences that bother me because they are massive things. Two things in particular stand out to me. See, the church in the book of Acts was modeled after the ministry of Jesus, meaning they had authoritative proclamation and they had authentic power. When they preached the gospel, Thousands came to faith in Christ. There was an authority in their words. And they took it all over the world in a very short amount of time. There was authoritative proclamation. And two, there was authentic power. What does that mean? It means that signs and wonders accompanied the message and the preaching of the gospel. Just like Jesus said it would in Mark chapter 16. The church in Acts was a church in revival. Meaning... They were not just having emotional experiences. They were a church that lived in the presence of God as a daily reality. They, they, they relied on his presence and power for their very existence. They recognized that without him, they could do nothing. They didn't have the luxury of replacing the presence of God with the use of greater technology as many churches have tried to do today. They didn't have the option to exchange the move of the Holy Spirit for bigger buildings and nicer structures and more amenities that appeal to a broader range of society. They would have never considered trading in the gospel of Jesus Christ for the cultural arguments and belief systems of the world today as so many churches have done in recent years. Paul said in Romans chapter 1 verse 16 that it is the preaching of the gospel it is the message of Christ that is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. Cultural arguments and philosophical teaching that tickles the ears and makes everybody feel good even while they're dying in their sin is not the preaching of the gospel. It is powerless to save. Only a revelation of who Jesus is can save a soul. And the Bible says that Jesus chose the foolish things of the world, the preaching of the cross, to cause people to come out of their sinful estate and come into new life in Christ Jesus. That's what saves the lost. It's the preaching of the gospel and it's the job of the church to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit until everybody on this planet has heard the good news that Jesus saves. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, he said, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words but they were with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest in hu human wisdom but on God's power. See, there's a lot of churches that are being built today on human wisdom, and I'm telling you that it will not stand the test of time. It will not last. It will all fall apart like a house of cards. 
There was authoritative proclamation and there was authentic power that accompanied the preaching of the word of God. And my concern is that the church has traded in the preaching of the gospel and the genuine. I'm not talking about a fabricated thing that makes you feel good and goosebumps and all of that. I'm talking about a genuine move of the Holy Spirit. We have traded in the gospel and the genuine move of the Spirit in an effort to be more culturally relevant and build a greater following. And the result has been we have lost our authority and we are void of any real power so that people who are broken and in need come to the house of God and they leave still broken and in need because there is nothing there to help them. There is nothing there to save them. When the gospel, and I feel the Holy Spirit in this place today. When the gospel goes forth, the Holy Spirit goes forth in power to save and heal and set free. When we proclaim Jesus faithfully, the Holy Spirit moves and he does the work. Hallelujah. We've become culturally relevant, but we've lost our power. And the answer to this dilemma that we now find ourselves in, in my opinion, is revival. It's Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. We need to pray and seek the Lord until he comes and showers his presence down upon us. And so when I talk about experiencing revival, I'm not talking about emotionalism. I'm not talking about a fleeting feeling that comes and goes. I'm talking about a cultural shift that leaves us changed and transformed, never to be the same again. I'm talking about a move of God that propels us forward out of mediocrity in our spiritual walk and into the great things that he has prepared for those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. We need revival. And the reality is, if you look at it in Scripture, when you see these moves of God that you could categorize as a revival, like the day of Pentecost, for example, there's always a sound that precedes the move of God. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind coming from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were. And they were inflamed in the power of God. Revival swept through them. There's a sound that revival has. It's the sound that comes from heaven. Or it's the sound of the people of God lifting something up to heaven. Who are not content with simply going through the motions and calling it church. Or living their lives on a spiritual roller coaster of excitement at one turn. But apathy at the next. Over and over and over again. The same cycle up and down, around and around, but there's really no spiritual growth. There's no transformation in their life. When revival comes to the church, it's because the church got serious about going after God. And when we get serious about going after God, there is a sound that accompanies that. And in this series, we're going to examine what that sounds like. And to kick things off this week, I want you to know that revival sounds like the cry of, a, of desperation. Revival sounds like the cry of desperation. It's the sound of a desperate cry from people who are desperate for a move of God. In Psalms chapter 145, verse 5, the Bible says, I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Verse 6 says, listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. And throughout the scripture, especially in the Old Testament, we read about the people of God getting so desperate for help from God that they finally abandon everything else that they've turned to and they turn to God and cry out to him in desperation. Again, in the Old Testament, we see it time and time again. The Lord would show them his love and his grace, his nature towards them. He would establish them in their land and he would bless them beyond measure. 
But time and time again, if you read it in the scripture, you see the people rebel against God. They go their own way. They do their own thing. And in turn, they bring calamity upon themselves. It's by their own doing. They did it to themselves by turning away from God. We see it in the life of King Hezekiah. He was a man who at one time led the people in righteousness, but later he turned away from God and his word. He did his own thing. He led his own way. He allowed idols to be built up in the land. And as a result, he and the entire nation found themselves surrounded by an enemy that was too great for them to defeat. So what happened? The prophet of the Lord came to him and told him, this is because of you and your choices. And Isaiah said, what do we do? He said, he said tear your cloak, fast, mourn, weep. Make a desperate cry to God and he may have mercy on you and come and help you. So that's exactly what Hezekiah did. He led the nation in a desperate cry to God. And the Bible says that God heard them from heaven and he came down and he miraculously delivered them from the hand of the Assyrians. That's what God does for his people. We read about it again in the story of King Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. The Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 19 that the Lord actually sent a prophet to rebuke Jehoshaphat. Because, the Bible tells us, he helped the wicked and loved those who hate the Lord. Now, the ones that the prophet were speaking of is King Ahab and his even more evil queen, Jezebel. Scripture says, because Jehoshaphat helped them, he brought the wrath of God against him and his own people. And then in the next chapter, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, if you read it, suddenly, without warning, Jehoshaphat finds out that there is an army three times the size of his marching towards them, and they're most certainly going to destroy them. And he knew in that moment, if God does not intervene, we are all going to die. So in desperation, he cried out to God saying this in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. He says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That was a desperate prayer from a desperate man in desperate need of a move of God. And the Bible says that God heard him and answered him and moved on his behalf. And God once again destroyed that invading army. And the people didn't even have to lift a weapon to fight. God totally fought that battle for them. And all through the Bible, you can read it. That's really the story of the Old Testament. That's the story of the Israelites. It is time after time after time. People... They have turned from God. They have gone their own way. They have gotten themselves in a big mess. And in desperation, they finally cry out to God for help. And he responds to their cry and saves them as only he can. Call me crazy, but it seems like maybe the same thing is being set up in America today. Where we have determined to go our own way and do our own thing and keep God out of the equation. And I'm just telling you, things are not going to get better until we start to cry out to God again. That's what needs to happen. And he will come and save. Psalm chapter 34, verse 6. David wrote, in my desperation, I prayed and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. When David wrote those words... He was capturing the sentiment of all of his ancestors who had gone before him and all those who would come after him. He was making a declaration, a prophetic promise for all time that God will respond to the desperate cries of his people when they find themselves in a desperate situation. 
Somebody once said that God allows us to encounter desperate situations so we never forget how much we really need him. That may be true. It probably is. But let me say this. I believe one of the keys to living in the continuing power of his presence, one of the keys to living in the place of revival is that you never lose your desperation for God. See, I don't think God wants you to cry out just when you find yourself in the most desperate situation. He wants you to cry out to him like that and live in that place of desperation every single day because he is our help. He is our strength. He is our firm foundation. And the moment we think we can do it without him, he lets us feel the full weight of the world that we've decided to put on our own shoulders. I'm grateful that he will hear me and respond to me when I find myself in desperation. But I want to live my life every day acknowledging that whether it's raining or shining, I'm still desperate for God. Whether I'm on a mountaintop or down in the valley, I'm still a desperate man in need of more of him. I want to live my life every day acknowledging that if it were not for the Lord who was on my side, I don't know where I would be and I don't know where I would be going. I want to recognize that he alone is my hope and my deliverer and my savior. And I just want to take a minute and thank God for saving me in my most desperate moments. Some of you are facing desperate situations right now. God said, you want to see me? You want me to show up? He says, call unto me and I will show you great and mighty things that you know not of. God may just be waiting for you to get desperate enough to take your hands off of it and say, okay, God, I've done all I can do and now it's all up to you. We don't know what we're going to do about this vast army that's come against us to attack us but our eyes are not on them they are on you because we recognize my help comes from heaven the maker of heaven and earth he has grace to help us in our time of need but it's God's desire according to Hebrews chapter 4 that we approach that throne of grace daily not just when we find ourselves in great need Revival is the result of hungry people who are desperate for God, acknowledging our desperate need for Him. And when we do, He shows up. Listen, you don't have to tell a hungry man it's time to eat. I know all about that. <laughs> you put the food on the table, and, and people who have eaten with me, you know. You know, if, especially if you're at my house. I will, I will do the polite thing, and I will pray, and I will step back, and I will give you a good 30 seconds to get in line. <laughs> And if you're not going to do it, I will. You know why? Because you eat while the food is hot. Come on, somebody. Yeah, that's right. So, ladies, if you want to come in with this bashful, oh, I don't know, I don't, I don't know, I'm not really that hungry. Fine. Get out of the way. Daddy's hungry. <laughs> you don't have to tell a hungry man to eat, and by the same token, you don't have to tell a desperate person to cry out to Jesus. Revival has a sound, and it's the sound of people who are desperate for God, crying out to him for more of his presence and glory and power in our lives. There's a story in Mark chapter 10 about a man who was so desperate for a move of God in his own life that he cried out to Jesus, and he wouldn't stop until Jesus heard him and moved on his behalf. It's found in Mark chapter 10, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me, but it'll be on the screen for you as well. But this is what the sound of revival is. It's the sound of desperation, and you actually see it in this story in Mark chapter 10. Look at verse 46 with me. It says, Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples 
together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting on the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you, throwing his cloak aside. He jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. The sound of revival is the sound of desperation. And there are three lessons here that we learn from the cry of desperation from this blind man, Bartimaeus, in the town of Jericho. And here's the first one. Your cry of desperation will always get Jesus' attention. Always. In a crowded street, people all over the place surrounding Jesus as they walk through town. Bartimaeus is sitting on the same street corner he's been sitting on for years, living his life as a beggar. And I just want you to imagine this scene with me for a moment because I would imagine, based on what we read in the Scriptures, that it was a scene of great joy and excitement. People walking with Jesus. The Scripture says in verse 46 that the crowd was large, and I would imagine this large crowd was also very loud. Jesus was on his way out of town. It was the last shot anybody in Jericho was going to get to see him. His next stop is Jerusalem and the cross. This is it. If you're in Jericho, they were flocking to him. They're running after him, excited to see him and savor these last few moments with him. And all of this commotion is coming down the road. And, and it calls Bartimaeus, who's sitting there on a street corner, to ask a question. He said, what in the world is going on? What is all of this commotion about? I can't see anything. Somebody tell me what in the world is happening. And so somebody tells him, Jesus is here. Jesus is walking through our town right now. And now it's interesting to me how Bartimaeus responds to this information because he did not respond with, who is Jesus? See, he already knew who Jesus was. He was blind physically, but his spiritual eyes were wide open, so much so that Bartimaeus saw things that other people in the crowd apparently could not see. And by faith, he knew who Jesus was, and he knew what Jesus could do for him because he immediately started shouting as loud as he could. As soon as he found out it was Jesus in town, he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He didn't shout out Jesus, son of the carpenter. He didn't shout out Jesus, the incredible teacher. He didn't shout out Jesus, the divine prophet, Jesus, the miracle worker. No, Bartimaeus shouted out Jesus, son of David. What was he saying? He was saying, Jesus, my king. He knew in his spirit who Jesus really was, that he was the promised king come from heaven, that he was the Messiah that would come through the line of David, just as the prophets had said. And he knew if Jesus is in my town, the king has come and the king brings his kingdom with him. And where the kingdom comes, hallelujah, there's healing, there's deliverance, there's salvation everywhere the kingdom goes. So Bartimaeus cried out, Son of David. And as soon as Jesus heard him crying out over the roar of the crowds, the Bible says in verse 49 that Jesus stopped. It was immediate. It was abrupt. 
Jesus was heading towards the gates of the city. He's leaving town. He's on his way to Jerusalem. The cross is on his mind. But the desperate cry of a desperate man in a desperate situation rang out over the roar of the crowd, and it stopped him in his tracks. And listen, this is true for you and I as well. When we cry out to God in desperation, we will always get the attention of Jesus. Psalms chapter 145 verse 17 says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Verse 19 says that he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and he saves them. I love the lyrics to one of the songs that we sing here often called Living Hope. Verse 1 of that song says, In desperation, I turned to heaven, and I spoke your name into the night. Just like Bartimaeus did, spoke his name into a blind void. He couldn't see anything. We speak in desperation the name of Jesus into the night, and then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. That's exactly what Bartimaeus experienced that day in Jericho. And it's exactly what you and I will experience, too, when we cry out to God in desperation. You want to get the attention of Jesus? You want him to show up and move in your life? You want him to do something about the darkness that's been surrounding you? Come on, I'm talking to somebody that's been dealing with extreme mental illness, and you feel like you may not even be able to get out of bed some days. Like, it is so overwhelming. The darkness just hovers over you. You want to know how to get his attention and break out of that darkness? You want him to show up and move in your life you want Jesus to show up and move in your family and and reverse a curse and bring your children home you want Jesus to show up in your church and begin to move in his power you want Jesus to show up in a nation and change the course of where we're going apathy is not the answer disengagement is not the solution it's to put yourself where you know Jesus is and lift your voice and cry out in a desperate plea Jesus don't leave this moment without looking my way. And when you cry out to Jesus in desperation, the Bible says he will stop in his tracks and he will turn and find you and he will do for you what he did for Bartimaeus. I felt led to do this series because I think a lot of us, the truth is we've lost our way. We've lost our way, not just over the summer months, but over the last couple of years, I heard I sat the other day in a meeting with several other pastors that shook me to my core. It was that one-third of the church in America has abandoned their faith in the last two years. I'm not talking about left your church and went to another church. I'm talking about they abandoned their faith. It tore me up inside. It's astonishing and sad to hear that. And here's the truth. It is an indictment on the American believer who is more interested in being entertained than being discipled. But it's also an an indictment on the church because we have failed to disciple the sheep and teach them how to obey the word of God and what it really means to follow after Jesus. The church in so many ways has lost its way. We have lost our way. And when we realize that we've lost our way due to spiritual blindness in our hearts or 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 due to being led astray by the lies of the enemy or the lies of our culture, the next thing that we must do when we realize that we're not in the place we should be, the next thing we ought to do is cry out to Jesus. It's to cry out to him in desperation because Jesus will always respond to the cries of his people. One of the interesting things I want to tell you before I leave this point about this story is that Jesus did not have to go through Jericho. 
he, from, from him, for him to get to where he was to Jerusalem, it was a straight shot. But Jesus did one of these things right here. He, he went out of his way to go to Jericho uh, because there was a man in Jericho with a desperate plea on his lips for the king to come his way and help him. And so here's the spiritual principle that I want you to hear today. Jesus will go out of his way to meet me where I am and get me back on track. It, Jesus was telling the truth when he said, I will leave the 99 to go and find the one who has gotten lost. And if you feel lost today, you don't need to try and determine all the reasons how and why you got so far off track in your life. You don't need to develop a three-step plan and process to get things back together all you need to know is the name of Jesus if you can just simply say his name he will come to where you are he will meet you there and he will minister to you at your point of need we're talking about three lessons we learned from a desperate cry number one your desperate cry will always get Jesus's attention and here's number two your cry of desperation will always draw negative attention it will the scripture says that when Bartimaeus found out it was Jesus that was causing all the commotion in his town, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And you would think the townspeople who know him and know his situation would have helped him get the attention of Jesus. They would have said, oh, yeah, hey, somebody stop Jesus. Don't let him leave yet. Bartimaeus is back here and he needs to be healed. Somebody get his attention. You know, hey, somebody flag Peter down. Come back this way. Bartimaeus is back here. You know, somebody would have helped this guy. But that's not what happened. Bartimaeus is shouting out loud. And look how the people respond to him in verse 48. Mark 10, 48. It says, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. And it just dawned on me in this moment that those people who told him to be quiet were also people who were following Jesus. And you need to know, sometimes you look to church people for support, and what you get is you need to be quiet. You get rebuke where you need to be helped. It's a sad reality. But you need to know, when you get desperate for God, you're going to draw some negative attention. In fact, the truth is you're going to make some people mad. I remember when I got on fire for God, I was a teenager. I was, I was age 14. I've been saved for a long time, but something happened in my life when I was 14, I, I was filled with the Holy Spirit, and I, I felt the call of God on my life to preach. And, and the reality is I just fell head over heels in love with Jesus, and I dedicated my entire life to him. I was determined that I was going to live my life for his glory and his honor, and it didn't matter what it looked like to me. I was going after Jesus with everything in me. And when I made that decision to really make Jesus first in my life, my life began to change. My speech changed. The way that I talked changed. My likes and my interests changed. The way I spent most of my time changed. The sound of my praise even changed in church. It got a little bit louder and a little bit more, um, shall we say, excited. And some people didn't like that. But see, they didn't understand how desperate I was for more of God. And my desperation for him overrode any concern or care I had about how they felt about it because he was the one I was living for, not them. I'm not going to give an account to them when I stand before God on the day of judgment. I'm going to give an account here for how I've lived my life and for what I've done with my life. But let me tell you, when you really get desperate for him and you really begin to cry out for more, you're going to draw the ire 
of somebody somewhere. Somebody is going to go out of their way to tell you, you need to be quiet. It might be a family member because they don't understand what God is doing in your life. And they'll tell you, you need to be quiet. That rebuke might come from people out there in the world, friends that you've had that that don't know Jesus. And they don't understand what God is doing in your life. And they get angry when you're not hanging out with them as much as you used to. And they're wanting you to go to that party on Saturday night and you tell them no because you've got church in the morning. And they're like, what is wrong with you? They don't understand the hunger and thirst that God has birthed in your spirit that has transformed you entirely from the inside out. When you make a decision to go after him, people aren't going to like it. They're going to tell you you need to be quiet. It might come from family members and friends. It might come from people out there in the world. But here's the one that it's going to come from the most. And I'm telling you this out of experience. People that will tell you you need to be quiet are the religious people. Yeah. See, the religious people can't stand people who are passionate about Jesus. And they get nervous when your faith starts getting loud. And they'll say things to you like, well, that ain't necessary. It don't take all that. You can worship God without being so loud. You don't have to raise your hands to praise God. You don't have to clap and shout. God forbid you ever start to move a little bit in worship. You know, you get a little sway in you or maybe a little bounce, you know, when the song really gets good. God forbid you actually dance a little bit in church. Uh Uh-huh, I know what I'm talking about. See, I've been there. They'll say, you're just over the top. You're just being too emotional. No, let me tell you what I'm being. I'm just being thankful because the scripture tells me that to whom much is given, much is required. And to the one who has been forgiven much, much love and thankfulness, they will express back to God. See, I know where I've been and what I've been through. And I can't help but praise God for what he's done in me. You don't have to say anything if you don't want to. But I made a decision a long time ago that there's not a rock anywhere on the earth that's going to cry out in my place. As long as I have breath in my body, I will cry out all the more. Praise be to God, the one who saved me and set me free. The religious people, people that were pretending to follow Jesus, were telling him, be quiet. You know what, Bartimaeus? If it's God's will to heal you, he will find his way to you. You don't have to be so loud. Be quiet. But Bartimaeus responded to them and said, Nah, I'm going to do it again. And this time I'm going to do it even louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Listen, a huge test in your faith is how you respond when other people tell you to stop going after Jesus. Why was Bartimaeus shouting? Was it because he thought Jesus was deaf? No. It was because he was desperate. And you might be here wondering today, why do we shout when we pray sometimes? If you've ever been to a Wednesday night prayer meeting, you know it gets intense. Sometimes I shout when I pray. Why are we so expressive when we worship? Let me tell you why. It's because there is something deep on the inside of us that is desperate for God. We are desperate for Jesus to come to where we are and touch us with his presence. We don't shout because we think he can't hear us. We shout because we're desperate. Listen to me. Desperate people don't whisper. They shout. And Jesus, Jesus stopped in his tracks when Bartimaeus began to shout out, don't leave this town without touching my life. And I can tell you right here and now, 
There are things I've gone through in my life, difficulties I've encountered, pain I've walked through. And a prescribed little religious routine was not enough to get me through it. I was desperate for God to show up and save me because he's the only one who could. And in my desperation, I cried out to him in a loud voice with all that was within me. Let me tell you something. I remember laying on the floor with my face in the ground, pleading with God to show up and do something in my life. I was a desperate man in a desperate situation. That's why you shout in desperation. It is a desperate plea. And let me tell you something. It's biblical. In Psalms chapter 120, verse 1, the Bible says, I took my troubles to the Lord. I cried out to him, and he answered my prayer. In Psalms chapter 3, verse 4, David said, I cried to the Lord with a loud voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. This is biblical. The cry of desperation is biblical. You may have never needed to cry out like that before in your life. And if that if, if that's you good for you I'm telling you right now I have and when I cry out to God it's from a place of desperation because I know I can't make it without him I need his touch in my life I'm desperate for his presence to show up and I don't mean any offense to anybody and the way you may choose to do church that's one of the cool things about life chapel like nobody tells you how to worship nobody tells you you have to do anything at any time But I'm just telling you today, he's been too good to me for me to ever get to the place where I act like I could leave it or take it. (laughs) He's been too good for me, for me to ever get to the place where I roll over and make a decision on whether or not he's worthy of my worship today. He's been too good to me to let anything else come in front of him and get ahead of him in my life. He's been too good. And listen, when you live in the place of desperation, that is the place of revival. That is the place of his presence. That is the place where he comes and he moves in your life. He shows up and does miraculous things among his people. God hears the desperate cries of his people, even when people are telling you to be quiet. We're talking about the lessons we learned from the cry of desperation, and I'm moving quick. Here's the third one. Your cry of desperation will always lead to greater glory. Your cry of desperation, it will always get Jesus' attention. It will always draw negative attention. you got to get over that, and it will always lead to greater glory. When Bartimaeus called out in desperation, look at what verse 49 says. It says, Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. And I want you to look at what really happened in the story here. Because Bartimaeus had the courage to call out, knowing that he was going to be rebuked for it. He had the courage to say something, even when the crowd was loud and and all over the place. And his desperate cry stopped Jesus in his tracks, and he responds to Bartimaeus, the Bible says, by calling him. And let me just stop right there and tell you that when you get over yourself and you get over what others think about you and you really get desperate for God and you decide you want more of him regardless of what it may cost you, it won't be long before you start to sense his calling in your life too. There was a desperate cry before there was a divine call because the cry of desperation always leads to something greater. Come on, that is good preaching right there. So Jesus responded to his cry with a divine call. And look at verse 50. It says, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. Now, I don't want you to miss this little detail in the story. Because when Jesus called him, the first thing he did was he threw his cloak to the side. 
that cloak was the outer garment that Bartimaeus wore that identified him to the rest of the world. Bible scholars tell us that that was the cloak of a beggar. It was the cloak that told everybody who got near Bartimaeus that he was a man in need. It was like a badge he wore of shame. It it, it told everybody that this man is needy. And, And so people, you know how we do. You know how you are when there's two turn lanes and there's somebody right there. You'll get into this lane so you don't have to look at them. Come on. People would go to the other side of the street because I, I don't have any change today and I know Bartimaeus is going to ask me for it and I, I'm just going to avoid him. I'm just going to stay over here. It's like a badge of shame the man was wearing that cloak. But when Jesus called him, the first thing he did was he threw that cloak to the side. That cloak that represented his old life of shame. He threw it to the side. He jumped up to his feet where he had spent every day of his life begging, and he ran to Jesus. Now check this out. Don't miss it. He threw off his cloak before Jesus did anything for him. You could understand him throwing off his cloak if it had happened after he had been healed. That would make sense. Well, I don't need this beggar's cloak anymore because now I can see. But the Bible says Bartimaeus threw off his cloak before he received his miracle. And in verse 52, Jesus told him, Bartimaeus, it was your faith that healed you. Oh, there's a a spiritual truth right there that you can't miss. Some of you have asked God for healing. You have asked a willing God to meet you where you are and heal your life, but you haven't been willing to throw off the cloak that has come to define you that you've become identified with. You've held on to the labels that the devil put on you, the label of victim, the label of broken, the label of forgotten, the label of unloved. The label of damaged goods. And so while with one breath you're asking God for healing, you haven't received from Him because you've wrapped yourself up in a narrative that is not from Him. And you've refused to break that lie off of your life. When you break the cloak, when you break the lie of the enemy off of your life, and you say, beggar is not who I am. Beggar is not who God created me to be. And you embrace the identity that God has called you to in Christ Jesus. Everything opens up right there. There's freedom right there. There's healing right there in Jesus' name. When Jesus calls your name, He doesn't call you according to your past. He doesn't call you according to the situation you find yourself in in that moment. He doesn't call you according to the label you've been wearing. He calls you out of all of that and into your true identity as a son or daughter of God. Get this. This whole time, Bartimaeus has been begging Do you know what his name actually means? Bartimaeus means son of honor. (laughs) Bartimaeus never realized it until he heard Jesus call his name. He had lived his whole life under a cloak of shame. But Jesus called him out of shame and into healing. He called him out of broken and into wholeness. He called him out of despised and rejected and into the seat of honor. You need to know who you are in Christ today. You are a son or daughter of God. He has called you honored. He has called you you highly favored. But you you may never get to hear him call you out of all of that and into what he's got for you if you won't cry out in desperation. It took a desperate cry first before Bartimaeus received that calling, that true identity from the Lord. And look at verse 51. He comes to him, and Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. 
Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now you talk about greater glory. The man was healed. He had been blind, but now he can see. That is amazing. But let me show you something even greater. In verse 52, the Bible says that Bartimaeus received his sight and started following Jesus. (laughs) And the next verse you read in Mark chapter 11 You read about Jesus walking into Jerusalem to everybody, throwing their cloaks on the ground, and everybody waving their palm branches and shouting with a loud cry of desperation, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Watch this. It started with a desperate cry of one man, but now there's a whole city full of people doing it, throwing their cloaks to the ground and shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna, the blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Bring your kingdom now, God. That's what happens. See, your desperate cry will lead to greater glory when you get desperate for God and you start going after him with everything in you, you don't know who around you is going to begin to affect. I promise you it won't just affect you. It will affect your family. It will affect your neighbors. It will affect the person sitting next to you at church. It will affect your city. It will affect the country when the church gets on fire for God and begins to cry. I got to quit. Come on, man. Get up here. (sighs) The desperate cry led to greater glory. What about Bartimaeus himself? I love this part of the story because, I mean, it's incredible. It's awesome that he got healed. Absolutely incredible day. And he could have gone back to his house in Jericho after that, overjoyed by what God had done for him, always able to tell the story. I used to be blind. I used to sit on that street corner and beg for a living. But Jesus came through town and he touched me. He would have always had a testimony. He would have always had a story. And it would have been fine if he wanted to do that. Just go back to his town, his his house, and live his life out, healed by God. And the truth is, I think that's what most of us would do. The miracles, see, we experience from God, they become something we look back on. And we point to in our past. And we say, wasn't that awesome when God did that? Wasn't that great when God showed up and did that? But they become something we look back on rather than something that propels us into something greater. But that's not what Bartimaeus, the son of honor, chose to do. Everybody lock in with me. We're getting ready to close. After he was healed, he didn't choose to go back to his house. Go back and just keep living life. He chose to continue following Jesus. And I would submit to you that following Jesus out of Jericho and into Jerusalem allowed him to see now with his healed eyes even greater glory. Because in Jerusalem, he saw Jesus die on the cross for the sins of the whole world. And in Jerusalem, he saw Jesus come back from the dead. In Jerusalem, he saw the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the early church on the day of Pentecost. By choosing to follow Jesus, he went from glory to greater glory. And isn't that what the Bible tells us our spiritual walk should be? In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says we're being transformed into his image as we look at him, and he is moving us from glory to glory. We don't go backwards, we go to greater glory. The move of God in your life is meant to propel you to greater glory, not to make you comfortable where you've always been. Come on and stand with me all across the room. His whole life changed the moment he made a decision 
to cry out to God in desperation. He was a desperate man in desperate need of a move of God. Let me ask you today, how desperate are you for God to move? Where are you really? Are you happy? Are you comfortable? Here's a good one. Somebody at home, are you in control? You've said everything just like you want it. Are you in control? Or does your life feel like a roller coaster that's getting ready to run off the tracks? There's an answer for you, and the answer is Jesus Christ. Your life was never meant to be controlled by you. It was meant to be led by the Spirit of God who is in you. And he leads you according to the will of Christ. He leads you according to the word of God. But you've got to trust him. And maybe one day you'll get desperate enough to put your trust in God and not in what your own hands can produce. I'm talking to somebody today. Hear the word of the Lord. A desperate cry leads to everything that you have in your heart that you've asked God to do for you. It begins with a desperate cry. I dare you to do it right now where you are in your house. I dare you to start crying. I dare you to start crying out to God for more. I dare you to trust him. I dare you to actually put your life in his hands and see what happens. Do it in Jesus' name. Where are you today, church? Are you living a called life? Are you following Jesus? Let me tell you, no matter where you are today, no matter where you've been, no matter what you're going through, there is more. God is not done with you. What he did in the past was miraculous and it was worthy of praise, but there is more on the road up ahead. The question is, do you want the more that God has in store for you or are you content to stay where you are? The path of revival begins with a desperate cry to God for more. Come on, where are you today? Is that, is that desperate cry in your heart? Do you feel it? Do you feel something inside of you crying out to God for more? I'm not happy. I'm not content. I'm not, I'm not living the life God put me on this earth to live. I need more. I need more of God. I'm a desperate man in a desperate situation. And if God doesn't come and move, I'll never become what God has asked me to be and destined me to be in my life. Come on, if you're desperate for more, lift your hands to heaven and begin to pray and ask God to come and shower you with righteousness today, to shower you with his power. We're going to sing in just a minute, but before we do, I want to pray over you. Father, forgive us for apathy. Lord, forgive us for contentment, God. Forgive us for choosing a life of comfort over the life of calling. Forgive us, Lord, for putting things in front of you and ahead of you and in place of you. Lord, today we're coming back to the altar and we're declaring that you are Lord of all. I am laying it all down again. I'm coming back to the throne of grace to receive help in my time of need. Lord, hear my desperate cry in Jesus' name and respond and touch your people today. God, move across this congregation in your power now. And and receive the word of the Lord. Receive the work of the Holy Spirit today in Jesus' name. He's moving in this place. Hallelujah. 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 Lord, we're hungry for revival. Lord, we're hungry for righteousness. We're hungering for the things of God. Lord, have your way in us today in Jesus' name. Come on, as the band leads us in this song, just let that desperate cry rise up from your belly today and connect with the God of heaven. He is here to minister to your need. Come on, sing it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.